Part one of The Criminal from Lost Honor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caroline. The Criminal from Lost Honor by Friedrich Schiller. Translated by John Oxenford. Part one in the whole history of man there is no chapter more instructive for the heart and mind than the annals of his errors on the occasion of every great crime a proportionally great force was in motion by the pale light of ordinary emotions the play of the desiring faculty is concealed in the situation of strong passion it becomes the more striking the more colossal the more audible and in the acute investigator of humanity who knows how much may be properly set down to the account of the mechanism of the ordinary freedom of the will and how far it is allowable to reason by analogy will be able from this source to gather much fresh experience for his psychology and to render it applicable to moral life the human heart is something so uniform and at the same time so compound one and the same faculty or desire may play in a thousand forms and directions may produce a thousand contradictory phenomena may appear differently mingled in a thousand characters and a thousand dissimilar characters and actions might be spun out of one kind of inclination though the particular man about whom the question was raised might have no suspicion of such affinity if as for the other kingdoms of nature a linnaeus for the human race were to arise who could classify according to inclinations and impulses how great would be the empire when many a person whose vices are now stifled in a narrow social sphere and in the close confines of the law was found in the same order with the monster borgia considered from this point of view the usual mode of treating history is open to much objection and herein i think lies the difficulty owing to which the study of history has always been so unfruitful for civil life between the vehement emotions of the man in action and the quiet mind of the reader to whom the action is presented there is such a repelling contrast such a wide interval that it is difficult nay impossible for the latter even to suspect a connection a gap remains between the subject of the history and the reader which cuts off all possibility of comparison or application and which instead of awakening that wholesome alarm that warns too secure health merely calls forth the shake of the head denoting suspicion we regard the unhappy person who was still a man as much as ourselves both when he committed the act and when he atoned for it as a creature of another species whose blood flows differently from our own and whose will does not obey the same regulations as our own 
his fate teaches us but little as sympathy is only founded on an obscure consciousness of similar peril and we are far removed even from the bare suspicions of such similarity the relation being lost instruction is lost with it and history instead of being a school of cultivation must rest content with the humble merit of having satisfied our curiosity if it is to become anything more and attain its great purpose it must choose one of these two plans either the reader must become as warm as the hero or the hero must become as cold as the reader i am aware that many of the best historians both of ancient and modern times have adhered to the first method and have gained the heart of their reader by a style which carries him along with the subject but this is a usurpation on the part of the author and an infringement on the republican freedom of the reading public which is itself entitled to sit in judgment it is at the same time a violation of the law of boundaries since this method belongs exclusively and properly to the orator and the poet the last method is alone open to the historian the hero must be as cold as the reader or what comes to the same thing we must become acquainted with him before he begins to act we must see him not only perform but will his action his thoughts concern us infinitely more than his deeds and the sources of his thoughts still more than the consequences of his deeds the soil of vesuvius has been explored to discover the origin of its eruption and why is less attention paid to a moral than to a physical phenomenon why do we not equally regard the nature and situation of the things which surround a certain man until the tinder collected with him takes fire the dreamer who loves the wonderful is charmed by the singularity and wonder of such a phenomenon but the friend of truth seeks a mother for these lost children he seeks her in the unalterable structure of the human soul and in the variable conditions by which it is influenced from without and by searching both these he is sure to find her he is now no more astonished to see the poisonous hemlock thriving in that bed in every other part of which wholesome herbs are growing to find wisdom and folly virtue and vice together in the same cradle not to mention any of the advantages which psychology derives from such a method of treating history this method has alone the preference because it uproots the cruel scorn and proud security with which erect and untempted virtue commonly looks down upon the fallen because it diffuses the mild spirits of toleration without which no fugitive can return no reconciliation between the law and its offender is possible no infected member of society can escape utter mortification 
had the criminal of whom i am now about to speak a right to appeal to that spirit of toleration was he really lost for the body of the state without a possibility of redemption i will not anticipate the reader's verdict our leniency will no more avail him since he perished by the hand of the executioner but the dissection of his crime will perhaps instruct humanity and possibly instruct justice also christian wolf was the son of an innkeeper in a provincial town the name of which must be concealed for reasons which will be obvious in the sequel and his father being dead he assisted his mother in the business till his twentieth year the business was bad and wolf had many an idle hour even from his school days he was notorious as a loose kind of fellow grown-up girls complained of his audacity and the lads of the town reverenced his inventive powers nature had neglected his person a little insignificant figure curly hair of an unpleasant blackness a flat nose and a swollen upper lip which had been moreover put out of its place by the kick of a horse gave a repulsiveness to his appearance which scared all the women away from him and afforded abundant material for the wit of his comrades obstinately did he endeavour to gain what had been denied him because he was unpleasant he determined to please he was sensual and persuaded himself that he was in love the girl whom he chose ill-treated him he had reason to fear his rivals were more fortunate nevertheless the girl was poor a heart that was closed to his endearments might possibly open to his presence but he himself was oppressed by want and his vain endeavour to produce an effective exterior absorbed the small gains of his miserable business too indolent and too ignorant to restore his dilapidated affairs by speculation too proud and also too delicate to exchange the condition of master which he had hitherto held for that of peasant he saw but one path before him a path which thousands before and after him have taken with better success that of stealing honestly his native town bordered on a wood which belonged to the sovereign he turned poacher and the profits of his depredations were faithfully placed in the hands of his mistress among the lovers of johanna was robert a huntsman in the service of the forester this man soon perceived the advantage which had been gained over him by the liberality of his rival and filled with envy he investigated the source of this change he appeared more frequently at the sun this was the sign of the inn and his watchful eye sharpened by envy and jealousy soon showed him whence the money had been procured a short time before a severe edict had been revived against poachers condemning transgressors to the house of correction robert was unwearied in observing the secret paths of his rival 
and finally succeeded in catching the unwary man in the very fact wolf was apprehended and it was only by the sacrifice of all his property that he was able and then with difficulty to escape the awarded punishment by a fine robert triumphed his rival was beaten out of the field and johanna's favour was at an end now he was a beggar wolf knew his enemy and his enemy was the happy possessor of johanna an oppressive feeling of want was combined with offended pride necessity and jealousy raged together against his sensitiveness hunger drove him out upon the wide world revenge and passion held him fast for a second time he turned poacher but robert's redoubled vigilance was again too much for him now he experienced all the severity of the law for he had nothing more to give and in a few weeks he was consigned to the house of correction attached to the capital this year of punishment had passed absence had increased his passion and his stubbornness had become greater under the weight of his misfortune scarcely had he regained his freedom than he hastened to the place of his birth to show himself to his johanna he appeared and all shunned him pressing necessity at last subdued his pride and overcame his sense of personal weakness he offered himself to the opulent of the place as willing to serve for daily hire the farmer shrugged his shoulders as he saw the weakly-looking creature and the stout bony frame of a rival applicant was decisive against him in the mind of the unfeeling patron he made one effort more one office was still left the very last post of an honest name he applied for the vacant place of herdsman of the town but the peasant would not trust his pigs to escape grace frustrated in every effort rejected at every place he became a poacher for the third time and for a third time he had the misfortune of falling into the hands of his watchful enemy the double relapse had increased the magnitude of the offence the judges looked into the book of laws but not into the criminal's state of mind the decree against poachers required a solemn and exemplary satisfaction and wolf was condemned to work for three years in the fortification with the mark of the gallows branded on his back this period also had elapsed and he quitted the fortification a very different man from the man he was when he entered it here began a new epoch in his life let us hear him speak himself as he afterwards confessed to his spiritual adviser and before the court i entered the fortification he said as an erring man and i left it a villain i had still possessed something in the world which was dear to me and my pride had bowed down under the shame 
when i was brought to the fortification i was confined with three and twenty prisoners two of whom were murderers while all the rest were notorious thieves and vagabonds they scoffed at me when i spoke of god and encouraged me to utter all sorts of blasphemies against the redeemer obscene songs were sung in my presence which graceless fellow as i was i could not hear without disgust and horror and what i saw done was still more revolting to my sense of decency there was not a day in which some career of shame was not repeated in which some evil project was not hatched at first i shunned these people and avoided their discourse as much as possible but i wanted the sympathy of some fellow-creature and the barbarity of my keepers had even denied me my dog the labour was hard and oppressive my body weak i wanted assistance and if i must speak out i wanted compassion also and this i was forced to purchase with the last remains of my conscience thus did i ultimately become inured to what was most detestable and in the quarter of the year i had surpassed my instructors i now thirsted after the day of liberty as i thirsted after revenge all men had offended me for all were better and happier than me i considered myself the martyr of natural rights the victim of the law grinding my teeth i rubbed my chains when the sun rose behind the mountain on which the fortification stood a wide prospect is a twofold hell for a prisoner the free breeze that whistled through the loopholes of my tower the swallow that perched on the iron bar of my grating seemed to insult me with their liberty and made my confinement the more hideous then i swore a fierce unconquerable hate against all that resembles man and faithfully have i kept my oath my first thought as soon as i was free was my native town little as i had to hope there for my future support much was promised to my hunger for revenge my heart beat more wildly as i saw the church steeple rise in the distance from the wood it was no more that heartfelt comfort which i felt when first i returned thither the remembrance of all the afflictions all the persecutions which i had suffered then roused me at once from a frightful torpor every wound bled afresh every scar was opened i quickened my steps for i walked in the thought of terrifying my enemy by my sudden appearance and i now thirsted as much after new humiliation than i had before trembled at it the bells were ringing for vespers while i stood in the middle of the market the congregation was thronging to church i was now recognized and every one who came near me shyly shrank back i was always very fond of little children and even now by an involuntary impulse i gave a groschen to a boy who was skipping by me 
the boy stared at me for a moment and then flung the groschen into my face had my blood been cooler i should have remembered that the beard which i had brought with me from the fortification disfigured my face in the most frightful manner but my bad heart had infected my reason tears such as i had never shed ran down my cheeks the boy does not know who i am nor whence i come i now said to myself half aloud and yet he shuns me like some noxious beast have i any mark on my forehead or have i ceased to look like a man because i can no longer love one the contempt of this boy wounded me more bitterly than three years service in the galleys for i had done him a kindness and could not charge him with personal hatred i sat down in a timber-yard opposite the church what i actually desired i do not know but this i know that i rose with indignation when of all my acquaintances that passed no one would give me a greeting deeply offended i left the spot to seek a lodging when just as i was turning the corner of a street i ran against my johanna the host of the sun she cried aloud and made a movement to embrace me thou returned dear host of the sun god be praised her attire bespoke misery and hunger her aspect denoted the abandoned condition to which she had sunk i quickly surmised what had happened some of the princess dragoons who had met me made me guess that there was a garrison in the town soldiers wench cried i and laughing i turned my back upon her i felt comforted that in the rank of living beings there was still one creature below me i had never loved her my mother was dead my creditors had paid themselves with my small house i had lost everybody and everything all the world shunned me as though i were venomous but i had at last forgotten shame before i had retired from the sight of men because contempt was unendurable now i obtruded myself upon them and felt delight in scaring them i was easy because i had nothing more to lose and nothing more to guard i no more needed any good quality because none believed i could have any the whole world lay open before me and in some strange province i might have passed for an honest man but i had lost the spirit even to appear one despair and shame had at last forced this mood upon me it was the last refuge that was left me to learn to do without honour because i had no longer a claim to it had my pride and vanity survived my degradation i must have destroyed myself what i had actually resolved upon was yet unknown even to myself i had to be sure a dark remembrance that i wished to do something bad i wished to merit my fate the laws i thought were beneficial to the world and therefore i embraced the determination of violating them 
formerly i had sinned from necessity and levity now it was from free choice and for my own pleasure my first plan was to continue my poaching hunting altogether had gradually become a passion with me and besides i was forced to live some way but this was not all i was tickled at the thought of scorning the princely edict and of injuring my sovereign to the utmost of my power i no more feared apprehension for i had a bullet ready for my discoverer and i knew that i should not miss my man i killed all the game that came across me a small quantity of which i sold on the border but the greater part i left to rot i lived miserably that i might be able to afford powder and ball my devastations in the great hunt were notorious but suspicion no longer touched me my aspect dissipated it my name was forgotten this kind of life lasted for several months one morning i had as usual rambled through the wood to follow the track of a deer i had wearied myself for two hours in vain and was already beginning to give up my prayers lost when i suddenly discovered it within gunshot i was about to take aim and fire when i was suddenly startled by the appearance of a hat which lay on the ground a few paces before me i looked closer and discovered the huntsman robert who from behind the thick trunk of an oak tree was levelling his gun at the very animal which i had designed to shoot at this sight a deadly coldness passed through my bones here was the man whom i detested more than any living thing and this man within reach of my bullet at the moment i felt as if the whole world was dependent on the firing of my gun and the hatred of my whole life seemed concentrated in the tip of the finger that was to give the fatal pressure to the trigger an invisible fatal hand was suspended over me the index of my destiny pointed irrevocably to this black minute my arm trembled when i allowed my gun the fatal choice my teeth chattered as in an ache fit and my breath with a suffocating sensation was confined in my lungs for the duration of one minute did the barrel of the gun wave uncertainly between the man and the deer one minute and one more and yet one more it was a doubtful and obstinate contest between revenge and conscience but revenge gained the victory and the huntsman lay dead on the ground my gun fell as it had been fired murderer i stammered out slowly the wood was as silent as a churchyard and i could hear plainly that i said murderer when i drew nearer the man had died long did i stand speechless before the corpse when a shrill burst of laughter came as a relief will you keep counsel now friend said i 
and boldly stepping up to the murdered man i turned round his face towards myself his eyes were wide open i was serious and again became suddenly still an extraordinary feeling took possession of me end of part one